Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Greetings, friends. I'm Mariquita Guerrera, and I just had to bop on in here to tell you all about the joy of joining the Feminist Book Club Readathon. Everyone has their reason for participating in this fantastic and fun annual event. For me, the connection to community is unparalleled. The chance to win fabulous bookish prizes is a good motivator, of course, but it isn't my main draw. I've met virtually so many amazing people through the Feminist Book Club. Some of them I even met in person, <laughs> but I've met even more people through the readathon. Some of the things folks have posted made me cry, and many, many of them caused me to add to my ever-growing TBR. Talk about an easy and delightful way to expand what you read and find out more about authors and titles you may have missed or forgotten. It's not just connection with people and community, though I really cannot emphasize how bonding this event is, but a reconnection with your own books and a re-examination of your own library that is just so much fun. The prompts cause you to get creative and exercise your memory. I mean, really, what was the best first line I read in a book recently? If you've gotten the Feminist Book Club Radical Reading Challenge Passport, and if you haven't, you definitely should, you get a taste of the types of prompts and games involved in the readathon. But it is such a treat when you're seeing real time how other people are responding and talk about your own responses with other folks. Even a true dyed-in-the-wool introvert like me has fun with that. If you haven't signed up yet, what are you waiting for? It takes moments, and it really is just a great time. I'll be the one intermittently popping up on Instagram at O underscore Marie and haunting Mighty Networks. In fact, if I don't succumb to another viral onslaught, I'll even be one of your cheerful hosts. I hope to see you then. Allow me to introduce you to Madame Rastel by Jennifer Wright. Out now from Hachette Books. Madame Rastel is a sharp, witty, gilded age medical history which introduces us to an iconic yet tragically overlooked feminist heroine, a glamorous women's healthcare provider in Manhattan known to the world as Madame Rastel. A celebrity in her day with a flair for high fashion and public petty beefs, Ristel was a self-made woman and a single mother who used her wit, her compassion, and her knowledge of family medicine to become one of the most in-demand medical workers in New York. Before the 19th century, abortion and birth control were not only legal in the United States, but fairly common. And public health care needs for women and men alike were largely handled by midwives and female healers. However, after the birth of the clinic, newly minted MDs, Newly minted male MDs wanted to push women out of their space by forcing women back into the home and turning medicine into a standardized male-only practice. By unraveling the misogynistic and misleading lives that put women's health in jeopardy, Wright simultaneously restores Ristel to her rightful place in history and obliterates the faulty, fractured reasoning underlying the very foundation of what has since been dubbed the pro thought-provoking, character-driven, and funny and feminist as all hell. Madame Rastel is required reading for anyone and everyone who believes that when it comes to women's rights, women's bodies, and women's history, women should have the last word. 
Pick up your copy of Madame Rustel, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Old New York's Most Fabulous, Fearless, and Infamous Abortionist by Jennifer Wright, out now from Hachette Books. Hello, everyone. I'm Sally. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm so ready to discuss Women, Race, and Class by Angela Davis. Oh boy, it's going to be a good one. I'm joined by one of my awesome colleagues. I'm Taylor, you she, her pronouns, and I'm a contributor here with Feminist Book Club. Okay. I was just telling Taylor before we started that this book, I have this copy next to me. I have marked it up. I highlighted. There are different colored pens. At one point, I didn't have my pen because I was at somebody else's place. I dog-eared the pages. So I was like, no, I'm going to have to come back to this. It's a good one to just kind of own and make yours. I wanted to start by sharing my history with this book with Angela Davis, and then Taylor, you can share yours and then we can start the discussion from there. So I first read this, like a lot of people, as a women's studies major, and I have been meaning to go back to it because it's one of those books that leaves an impact, but I didn't remember the specifics. So it was really interesting to go back to because I can see now how reading this at the time informed so much of my politics and like how I view myself and my identity like as a feminist. My first introduction to Angela Davis was Our Prisons Obsolete. And like you, I read it in grad school, but not for school. I was just like reading it to reading it. So this was kind of like my first like deep dive into Angela Davis's work. And I always like loved her, but like, I feel like the way people talk about Angela Davis is like, oh, she did this thing, these things in the 70s, and, like, she's not really that relevant anymore. And, like, we talk about her like we talk about Rosa Parks, almost, where she's just, like, oh, she was just one of the people in the civil rights movement. But, like, she's still very active, and, like, she's such a thought leader. And Women Race in Class, I made a, t- it was so funny, I made a TikTok about it when I first started. I was, like, on page eight, and I was, like, well, I've already highlighted, like, so many things. So I know this is about to be like a life-changing book and it definitely was. But yeah, you're so right. Like how we talk about Angela Davis or like people talk about Angela Davis, like, oh, you know, way back in the day when she was saying X, Y, Z, she's still here. She's still with us. I do love the question too of like, are you a communist yet? I love that the last sentence of this book is just like, we're making way for socialism. That's the only, that's the inevitable conclusion of where we're at. That's just like, we're just going to drop this here at the end. I mean, obviously building throughout, but I just thought it was such a funny way to end a book. I was like, nope, yeah, no, I guess you're right. We are. That's the solution. What were your general impressions of the book? I have been on this kick of reading anti-racism books. It really started like years ago when I was like reading Hood Feminism and How to Be an Anti-Racist when like they first came out. Everybody had to write an anti-racist book in 2020. So I've been reading them and I've been finding myself disappointed by them because much needed, but then I'm just like, eh, this is too soft for me. So I was really excited to read Women, Race, and Class because her deep dive into just like the historical analysis for like why the world is the way it is, is like, of course, everything is because of slavery, but also like so much of what she was writing was applicable to today in 2023. And this book was written, what, 1981, I think. And like, it was like so sad that all of these things are still applicable. But also, I feel like we don't connect the dots back to history. It's just like, okay, slavery was this bad thing. It's like, 
No, literally, it was like the pervasive institution that set up everything we have to this day. So I was just really just blown away and in awe of all of like the historical connections. And she talks about the time in history that we really don't think a lot about when it comes to Black people and Black history anyway. It's like, oh, there's slavery. And then all of a sudden they show up again for the civil rights movement. And we don't talk about like Reconstruction. We don't talk about the Jim Crow South a lot. And we don't get that in between. And there was so much happening in that was born out of the abolition movement that carried on through Reconstruction and Jim Crow. And like, I didn't know any of that history. So I was just like, my gosh, like all these things make so much sense. I love Angela Davis is like a phenomenal writer because she is great at connecting the dots and her writing is very easy to follow. Reading it now, I can see like why this is like taught in college so often. I know so many people who read this as women's studies majors or read parts of it because it does connect those dots, but it does it like in a very clear way. She like really keeps bringing it back and she makes the connections. Like it's not just a retelling of history. Here's how this related to that. And here's who was talking about that. And here's the impact of all of these people who were not talking about it or making those connections. And I really appreciated that. I think in a way that I didn't at the time, I think maybe because we've come so far and yet where are we? So I think reading it today is a little bit like, shit, yo, this is this is still highly, highly relevant, maybe a little too relevant, I might say. But I really, I loved that. I love her approach. And, and going back to the readability, Toni Morrison, when I read The Source of Self-Regard, I was just like, oh my God, like every other chapter, I was looking up two or three words, like, I love you, Miss Morrison, but um, can you make it a little bit for my comprehension? But like in women racing class, like Angela Davis just writes so smartly, but in a way that like people can understand. So I really appreciate that. And when she's like referencing certain people or like certain events, like she always brings in that context instead of What's happening is source of self-regard is just like, oh, you just have to know. It's just like, oh, but I don't. Let me Google what this means real quick. So yeah, I agree with you about how readable it is. I definitely think it needs to be like taught, not in just women gender studies class, but like sociology classes, maybe social psych classes as well. I do always love that like remembering that Angela Davis is also like a philosopher. Makes sense for like what she does and how she writes between that and like being, you know, anti-capitalist and wanting to like be of the people. I think that also probably impacts like the way that she writes. What did you think about, we touched on it a little bit, but were you as depressed as I was just thinking about like, man, how far have we come? This book was published 40 years ago. Where are we? Yes, definitely. What depressed me the most was just thinking about how the suffrage movement was really kind of like that birth of like that white exclusionary feminism and how in like some arenas we are still seeing that today where, for example, I am in the nonprofit world as my career and I, I'm just recently entering like fully into the nonprofit world. For context, I work for an organization that centers the needs of Black and Brown women and girls who've been impacted by violence. And 
just interacting with like other organizations that are for like women or for survivors of like intimate partner violence, sexual assault, it's very exclusionary and not centering the needs of the most impacted or like just totally disregarding or forgetting the needs in general and how even in the most progressive spaces, like this is still happening where I think it was Patricia Arquette a couple years ago. She gave in some award speech. I'm paraphrasing. Black people and queer people, we fought for your rights. So now it's your turn to like fight for women's rights. And it's just like, well, if you are fighting for Black people, you're fighting for queer, we are fighting for women's Like, what are you talking? So like just this blatant disregard in like all of these like progressive spaces and just how it was like come from this movement where, oh, like we're using the pain and trauma of Black people to kind of be a metaphor for like what women go through. So we're going to like use this as a platform and then disregard the people who would benefit from us advocating for everyone. So I think that is what really kind of depressed me the most. Yeah, I I always remember, and she's not the only one who says this, but Kimberly Ann Foster, the founder of For Harriet, she's constantly saying like, it, Black women are fighting for everyone all the time. Like, there's not a cause that Black women are not fighting for because Black women understand that everyone's liberation like impacts everyone else. So yeah, when people say, yeah, like the Patricia Arquette moment of it all, when people say things like that, I don't know how to respond. I'm like, what are you talking about? I've been having conversations. Y'all, I'm dating a white guy. I didn't ask for this. But here we are. And and not to like shout him out specifically, but like he's just a representative of other conversations I've had. But like sometimes he'll say things and I'm like, no, I'm clear. I understand why you why you as a white man deserve liberation. I get it. I'm here fighting for you too. I don't need you to tell me about all the problems that you have as a white man. I get them. I'm not saying that they're invalid. What I'm saying is, can you get hit to some of these other things too? Because like, that'll make my life real easy or maybe not real easy, but easier. And yeah, I think like maybe he should just read this book. We have progressed, obviously. There are ways that we have progressed. There are ways that ri- our rights have advanced. There are also ways that because history itself, ways that they have been being taken away, obviously. We don't it does make me hopeful at times. And because we have works like this, everybody had to write a book about anti-racism in the last couple of years. There are now so many things that we can point to that people can use as resources, at least that I don't have to have the conversation. And that's a help at the very least. The amount of times I've had to in the past just be like, oh, here's a really cool book about that. Instead of asking me like things about my struggle or how I feel about this issue when it's just like, okay, like I'm still processing my feelings about this issue. I'm still processing grief around this issue. Like this is my lived experience. There are people who are paid to tell you how they feel as a Black person about this. So unless you want to cash at me something, you can go read one of their books or their blog posts or their podcast or like, a plethora of other sources of information. Angela Davis is one of them. You can start there. If you want something more contemporary, you can start on like like an Instagram page. Like, But next time somebody asks me a question, I'm actually going to probably say like, my cash app. I love that for you. I fully support this. It is valuable to just keep 
promoting the work of people that we admire and who are talking about these things. I also love having the exact right thing for the question that a person's asking me. Like, here's a video for you. <laughs> like, I love just like being able to throw a thing at someone. So if nothing else, people can start with Remin in class by Angela Day. She's the answer to everything. Last year when I was still working on a college campus and she was coming and one of my interns in the office was like, oh, so Taylor, you're going to see Angela Davis, right? And I was like, wait, 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 excuse me, what? She's going to do a camp? And he's, oh yeah, tickets are probably sold out by now. And I was like, okay, I'm not in the student union. I'm in my little cave in my office, but why did nobody tell me Angela Davis was going to be? And I was so kind of salty because he was like, do you want to help me pick out a book that I want her to sign? And I was just like, sure, Timothy, sure. And so I was like helping him pick out his book and I was like super salty about it. I was just like, you could have told me and I could have been like crying, clutching a book in the front row, just like being in her presence. Y'all, here two key takeaways of today's podcast. If nothing else, read this book, obviously. And number two, if you have the opportunity to see Angela Davis, take it. At some point in time, I was probably going to ask, what does liberation mean to you? So I've had a lot of time to think and process through this question. Liberation to me is the freedom to be who you are, who you were like born to be, who you were meant to be, without the obstacles of cultural things, institutional things, relational things getting in the way. People should just be able to freely be themselves. And I'm not saying that in the whole like, well, hate speech is free speech type way. No. If you are creating a barrier for somebody else to be who they are, then you're not liberated and they're not liberated. I agree. To me also, autonomy is a thing that I think about a lot in relation to liberation. Like the freedom to be who we are without like the structural or systemic things that tell us, that try to tell us who we are or try to tell us how we're meant to be. Even like now with my friends who are raising kids now, as opposed to like five years ago, like even that is a difference. Like bodily autonomy for children was not really a thing that they were thinking about, whereas it is a thing that now people are thinking about. So there is progress. It's not all depressing all the time. And I am grateful for that because it's such a key part of liberation. And going back to what I was saying before, uh, we all deserve liberation and all of our liberation is tied to each other. And I think that that's a thing that sometimes gets lost on people and bringing it back to the book. This book does such a great job of making it crystal clear how these concepts and how these oppressions like all work together, how they're intertwined. And sometimes it was just like, OK, well, I'm so focused on, you know, my role as like a worker in a factory that like I don't really care about the right to vote. I need to not be dying. And it wasn't until they realized like, oh, there actually is political power that comes from having the right to vote. I'm talking specifically about women factory workers for y'all who have not yet read the book. Like, I don't care about the right to vote. I care about feeding myself and like surviving the day and coming back to my family at the end of the day and like not having to deal with this. And that's real and that's fair. We do live in a different age now and we live in a time when a lot of us have a lot of access to information, to resources. And I would love for us to just keep leaning on that and keep like reading things, listening to things, watching things, like sharing all of these things 
in all the different forms so that everybody can really wake up to how everything is connected. And that can feel scary for people sometimes, just kind of like disentangling one thread can like, well, I don't know, we're not ready to deal with the whole other stuff. Cool. All right. Fine. We're not ready to talk about abolition. All right. That's fine. But like, can you at least connect it in your mind for now? And like, while you're working over there to do this, can you support this work that's happening over there, even if they don't have all the answers either? And that's something that I think this book really invites us to do because there aren't like answers necessarily other than like socialism. Like I said, in that very last sentence, that's what she leaves you with. But like, it is still like, it's important to reflect on and it's important to think about. Something that I feel like is really scary to people as well is because all of our liberation is tied to each other. We are kind, well, I'll speak in the collective we. We are afraid of giving up the power and the privilege that we do have because we know that our liberation is tied to other people. So therefore we think that, okay, if I liberate, these other people, something's going to be taken away from me. So like coming from this like scarcity mindset. So additionally, liberation to me is operating in abundance and not just scarcity. Like there's enough power and dignity and worth for everyone to go around. And the people who are focused on things like surviving the workday to get back to their families and being able to take care of their human needs during the workday and like being valued as a human a human and not a worker, it means taking away power and access from those who are inflicting oppression onto other people. So I think that's why liberation can be scary for a lot of people. Like you said, a socialism, but socialism done right without ego and all the other things that sometimes may come up. Yeah, because that's the thing, right? It's like, even thinking about something like autonomy, like that's all well and good, you know, to think about. But like, if people are using it as a weapon against somebody else, then like, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about using your liberation to like weaponize somebody else's. Then you're still, you're not liberated and neither is the person that you're weaponizing this against. Like, that's just not what that is. Is there anything else that you want to share about the book, about Angela Davis, about any of these topics. Again, I just love her so much and she's the greatest love of my life. All right, cool. So I have a a couple of books that I did want to shout out a few that just like were the first ones that came to mind. So Asada Shakur's autobiography, like I think that's required reading y'all. On a similar note, the Black Panther Party graphic novel by David F. Walker with art from Marcus Kwame Anderson. I love that book. I have read it twice now, I think. Maybe I'll just read it again. I might read it during the readathon. And another like nonfiction graphic novel is Amazon's Abolitionist and Activist by Mickey Kendall with art from A. D'Amico. I another great like resource. It's like the, another good thing about like graphic nonfiction graphic novels is like it is a quick read. It's an easy read with like big topics. You know, one of the books that I'm absolutely obsessed with, White Woman, Everything You Want to Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better. It's a book for everyone. It's written by Syra Rao and Regina Jackson. And again, you can check out the Feminist Book Club podcast episode with the author interviews. And then another book for me, too, White Feminism by Koa Beck. And 
that book I felt like did a good job as well as Women Racing Class to talk about like the intersection between like race, white feminism, and like classism when it comes to feminism and just bring in all of those intersections with some more contemporary examples. But also just like read anything by Angela Dave. Thank you so much, Taylor. Thanks for joining me, for talking with me. And thank you everyone for listening. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any thoughts about anything that we discussed today, if you too want to gush about this book or Angela Davis, if you too have your regrets of not getting to see her, <laughs> please do share them. Taylor, where can folks find you? Uh, so my my book projects, they you can find them at Liberation is Lit. I'm on Instagram, Liberation is Lit. And at Sally Simply Everywhere. Thanks, y'all. Bye, y'all. Mayo Partners, Inc. is a Black-owned commercial real estate, urban planning, and community engagement firm based in St. Paul, Minnesota. We believe in developing generative results in the community while addressing the pressing challenges facing urban-built environments. Our work and belief system is rooted in applied empathy and putting people first. Our approach delivers thoughtful, human-centered solutions for clients and cultivates sustainable relationships. We make a conscious effort to hire local residents as community liaisons, staff, and consultants to support engagement in local communities. We hire local talent as interns and have developed an artist-in-residence program in order to build up young and upcoming professionals within our community. We are currently hiring for our summer intern program. We provide real estate development and business technical assistance to small business owners, entrepreneurs, and companies that share our values. So if you're a business owner looking to do things the right way the first time, it's time to do things the NAO way. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is a dangerous creature, creature.